Welcome to the Common Grounds Unity Podcast, where we have great conversations with unity-minded Christians. Our goal is to encourage unity of the Spirit within the Stone Campbell Movement and beyond. We believe unity starts with a cup of coffee. So grab a cup and join us as we seek to fulfill Jesus' prayer that we may all be one. And now... Here are your co-hosts. Welcome to another Common Grounds Unity podcast. I'm Kevin Witham and delighted to have you back with us for another conversation within the streams of the Stone Campbell Restoration Movement. If this is your first time joining a Common Grounds Unity podcast, we have, uh, have great conversations. We're trying to create dialogue within the, the various streams of this great movement that includes conversations with folks in churches of Christ, international churches of Christ, independent Christian churches, and disciples of Christ. And we've had a lot of conversations uh, over the course of this podcast, and our goal is to both create dialogue and, and build bridges toward unity. Um, but another goal is to introduce you to people within these movements uh, who can contribute to your own ministry by way of books and resources and just knowing uh, folks that you might access uh, to work together, maybe even in your own community. Uh, so we're going to have another one of those great conversations today, and I'm going to introduce our guest. Michael Burns is a teacher in the Minneapolis St. Paul Church of Christ or as they call it there, the Two Cities uh, Church. He is a graduate of Wesley Seminary of, Indian, uh, of Indiana Wesleyan University. He's got his master's from there, taught high school history in uh, Milwaukee for nearly 10 years. He is a national and international biblical scholar, uh, or teacher, I should say. I'm sure a scholar as well, um, who teaches at churches and workshops. He's the founder and director of the Ministry Development and Training Academy centered in Minneapolis, Minnesota, serves as, as an instructor in the Ministry Training Academies in Africa. He is the author of the Core series of books, and he, he married his wife, Micretia, in 1997. They have two sons, and he resides in Roseville, Minnesota. Uh, Michael, welcome. Uh, glad to have you with us. Oh, it's a pleasure to be with you. Thank, thanks so much for having me. Well, it's an honor to have you with us. I want to give the folks just a couple of places where they can go to access some of your resources. I'll say them at the start and then at the end of our broadcast today. But Michael has a website, michaelburnsteachingministry.com. Again, that's michaelburnsteachingministry.com just as I said it. And he's got all of his books there, both uh, hard copies and eBooks can be downloaded. And he's got a curriculum that he's written for churches, as well as books for personal study. Uh, Michael, uh, lead us off. Tell us just a little bit about your, your life, your spiritual journey, and, uh, and maybe tell us just a little bit about some of these ministries you're involved in, the Ministry Development and Training Academies in both Minneapolis and Africa. Yeah. So, you know, my, I think my journey is like uh, maybe a lot of people these days. 
that at least that are my age, you know, I'm, I'm 50. And so I grew up in the seventies and eighties, very much going to church. I had two parents who loved Jesus, followed Jesus and were very sincere about it. But I, I don't think through any fault of their own, um, It was never really my faith. It wasn't anything, uh, you know, church was just something I kind of went to, you know, and that's about the extent of it. And culturally uh, a Christian. And by the time I got to college was really like, okay, that's, that's a far in the past. I've been there, done that. I have no interest in doing that anymore. And kind of went, you know, a different way. And then after college, graduated, um, got married pretty quickly, and my wife and I moved to Milwaukee. And within the first month that we were living in Milwaukee, in different parts of the cities, different times and places, sometimes together, sometimes apart, probably six times in the first month, we got invited out to to go to church. And we realized after a while that it was all the same church. And we didn't realize that at first, but it was the Milwaukee Church of Christ. And so we went and visited. And the the first thing we walked in, we were really blown away by the fact that it was a, a multiracial congregation, which we had honestly didn't even know really existed. We didn't know that was a thing. And so um, we, we loved it. We stayed around and we had people there who really kind of showed us Jesus, but challenged us to follow him and challenged us to really embrace Jesus kingdom as something, uh, a reality that's here now and for the future, not just, you know, get out a hell free card for the future one day, that there's a, a dual sort of here and now aspect to it. And, that fascinated me. It challenged me. And so, you know, before too long, we uh, were baptized into Christ, became Christians, uh, you know, and and have have been trying to follow Jesus as best we can since then. And, and uh, from that time, I've really been in love with the concept of the kingdom of God and learning more and more about what that is and and how how we can embrace it and embody it. And at the time that I was converted, I was actually, a, uh, as you mentioned, a high school teacher in Milwaukee there. And so it just kind of went hand in hand where there was a few times where I got asked like, hey, would you like to do a little lesson here or there? And so, you know, I would do some lessons here and there. And before long, it was kind of brought up the idea of me going in the ministry, which was not a plan I ever had. In fact, I think the first person that brought that up, I was like, are you crazy? I have no interest in being in full-time ministry, but I prayed about it. And I felt like God was really saying, yeah, do it. I want you to do that. And so we went and did that, but I've I've always kind of approached it from the standpoint of being a teacher. That's that's I'm I'm a high school teacher. You know, you you, you mentioned kind of bobbled there at the beginning and said scholar for a minute. I'm I'm not a scholar. I'm you know <laughs> I, I try that. That's a very specific word, kind of in the academic world. Uh, but you know, I'm I'm kind of a street teacher. I I I, I like to explain things to people in a way that makes sense, in a way that they can understand. And um, just kind of at that, uh, you know, every person sort of level. Uh, But I love teaching and I love seeing people 
get new things about God's word and about the kingdom of God. And so we've just tried to do that at, at every level. And that eventually, you know, rolled into being in the ministry. It rolled into some of the training academies, which are, are were really just started for everyday Christians to, who wanted to go deeper than just a 30-minute Bible study in the morning or something like that. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but, you know, some folks just want to go deeper. And so we started that. The The ministry development training program in Minneapolis is actually now, in the last few years, shifted over where it's centered in Chicago. So the classes are there, and I, I still teach some of those classes. And then we have, you mentioned the ministry training academies in Africa, and those are more focused on training ministers who maybe don't have access or haven't yet gone to, you know, a seminary or a graduate school, but they they're in the ministry and they want that uh, collegiate level of training. And so uh, we have schools over there in um, Nairobi and Abidjan, Lagos, Johannesburg. They're all really well run and doing great. Uh, at this point, I've you know, backed up a little bit and I just help teach in those programs now uh, as, you know, much as I can. I used to go over there a lot until COVID hit. Now it's a lot of video classes and, and things of that nature. Um, so so we're doing that. And I'm actually transitioning in the ministry right now because we are in Minneapolis, but my wife and I were moving to Dallas, Texas to be part mm -hmm. of the Dallas Fort Worth Church of Christ down there in the spring. So we're, we're in the midst of transitioning down that way. All right. We want you to connect with our Dallas gathering of common grounds down there. Um, there's be quite a few folks from that church in the group. So that's, that's awesome. And don't, don't to undersell yourself on that scholar piece. <laughs> it's evident from your writing. You're a, a careful student of the word and, uh, and a thoughtful student of the word and are conveying some good things for people to be thinking about. Just real quickly, tell, tell me a couple of things about the core series of books. I notice on your website, there are quite a few of those. What, what are those and, and how do those uh, serve folks? Yeah. You know, I started writing those, probably around the time we moved to Minneapolis, so around 2012. And they were really intended initially to just be a teaching curriculum for the church here. And they've they've definitely gone beyond that and wound up being used by a number of churches in the U.S. and even globally, which is really cool. But um, it, it, the core itself stands for, let, let me see if I can remember my own acronym now. It's uh, comprehensive, orthodox, restorational, and essential. And so it, it's really 12 books and they're laid out. If you, if you get a hold of one of the core books, you'll see right away like, oh yeah, this guy has a background as a high school teacher because they're laid <laughs> out kind of like a textbook. And I did that intentionally complete with sidebars and summaries and self-assessments at the end and all kinds of resources and how to use it. And, and so really it's just a tool for churches who want to go deeper with some teaching and do it in a more systematic sort of way. Again, there's that teacher brain of mine that um, says, let's, you know, find more of a curriculum sort of pattern to, to go through. 
And so there are resources in there. If, if you want to do the core series as an individual, there are resources in there for that. If you want to do it as a small group, there are resources for that. If a church wants to do it as a whole, there are resources for that in each book. So that's kind of what it is. Very good. Well, appreciate learning about those. Those might serve some folks out there that'll find them helpful in their own ministries. Uh, you caught our attention because of a recent book you wrote, Escaping the Beast, and mm-hmm. it, uh, it it deals with kingdom people and uh, politics and our engagement in the culture. I'm going to read just a little portion from the uh, the back cover. Some disciples of Jesus are deeply political and become extremely passionate about their beliefs, even to the point of creating divides within the body of Christ. Can this be what God wants for the people of his kingdom? On the other end of the spectrum are disciples who have turned their faith into an exercise of piety, spurning any involvement in politics whatsoever. This may sound spiritual, but could a faith that has nothing to say about the injustices and inequities of the world really be what Jesus had in mind with the kingdom of God. So you you approach this book uh, from the standpoint of uh, kind of two sides to this question of a Christian's engagement in politics. Uh, those that, that say, man, I'm all in and I'm loyal to a party and, and uh, I never fail to vote and I get out there and promote what I believe politically and others who kind of take a totally different place. And you seem to be be calling for something different and some thoughtfulness uh, to this. So uh, tell us a little bit about what, what drove you to write the book. How did, how did it get inspired in your mind? And then give us that 30,000 foot view of the book and its message. Yeah. So, you know, the, the first thing I want to say is I, uh, with a nod of my hat to the New Testament scholar N.T. Wright, I heard him speaking once, and he said something to the effect of, and, and I've oft quoted this and, and taken it for my own, that 10% of what I tell you at any given time is wrong. I just don't know which 10%. And so, you know, I, I never enter a discussion thinking that I have all the answers and have it all figured out. And uh, But in, in, you know, looking at uh, how disciples respond to situations in the real world um, concerned me uh, the last few years. And it, and it really started for me in, in 2014 to 2016, where we were really focusing our ministry on issues of race and culture and how to approach those topics. And just seeing that there was a lot of unbiblical approaches that were being accepted on sort of both sides, so to speak, of of the political bent within the church, and that there wasn't a lot of approaching it from a biblical perspective. And so we, I wrote a book in 2016 called Crossing the Line on that topic. And my wife and I began to speak really around the world and do workshops on, on that topic. Well, it's just inevitable, especially in, in this day and age, when you start speaking about issues of race and culture, questions of politics come up very quickly. And it, it's just, you can't separate it. And so I, I started to realize that, man, I, I think this needs to be addressed too. I'm just, 
I see a lot of non sort of biblical thinking from that perspective. And so, and the other aspect of that is with both of those topics really, or all three, if you say race, culture, and politics, I didn't see a lot of dialogue within the church, if any. And the dialogue that was there wasn't really healthy and kingdom focused. And, you know, I'm of a mind when you don't talk about things, that's going to be a problem. That's that's where the problems are going to rise. That's where Satan's going to get a foothold. That's where we're going to start conforming to the patterns of the world and dividing along lines and and not really embracing always the kingdom perspective on it. And so that, that was really my hope uh, for uh, any of those books, uh, certainly for Escaping the Beast. And I think the 30,000-foot the view there is is just that is challenging all disciples no matter where you might lay on the spectrum to say let let's first look at what the kingdom of god is how it's supposed to operate in the world how that has then played out in american history that's kind of part 2 of the book part 1 is really the kingdom of god part 2 is kind of how has this played out in american history and then part 3 is more of what would it look like to have a community that had a completely kingdom fueled imagination operating in the world using kingdom methods and not these these two general camps, which you just read from the back cover cover of the book there, where, you know, you have some folks who are very passionate about the the world and the state of the world, and and they're very sincere, and I appreciate that. They're they're drawn to issues of justice, and they want to address those things, and that's good, but oftentimes there is a danger there that that, you know, folks will see, ah, yes, there's justice in the Bible and God loves justice and he wants us to address it. But then they'll use means and methods that are not necessarily kingdom means and methods. And then on the other end, you have people who maybe are, you know, let's just not get involved in these things. They they completely spiritualize the kingdom so that it has little value in the real world uh, where people need to see the light they they need to see the city on a hill they you know they need to see a, a different way to live and a different way of modeling how to be human and how to be human communities and that's really what the kingdom of god is supposed to be and so we can tend to just withdraw into these little enclaves and and not address things and that was really one of my driving thoughts as i wrote the book was you know, if we were still existing in a time when the transatlantic slave trade was still going on, would we be a a movement of Christians who had something to say about that movement, who didn't just sit there and say, well, you know, that's not our business. We're about saving souls. But in so doing, would we be a movement who addressed the issue in a kingdom way? And, and so that was kind of the, the metric that drove me to think about uh, this whole topic, really. In chapter two, uh, you talk about the prophetic community. Let me make sure I'm saying that real clear. The prophetic community. Um, prophetic, that's not a term that we often use in, in Stone Campbell movement 
congregations. Speak a little bit about your thoughts in that chapter. Sure. We're, yeah, so th- that's an idea, and I, and I mentioned this in, in the book that I borrow from uh, an Old Testament scholar named Walter Brueggemann. And he writes about being a, a prophetic community. And then I sort of lifted that idea and put it into the world of, of politics and into the modern day. And the, the prof- you know, the prophet in the Old Testament was really one who challenged both God's people and at times outside of God's people to hear God's voice, to, to be God's people. And so there was often a a challenging aspect of the prophet, like, hey, you are falling short of reflecting God's will here, of being image bearers. And so that's really what a prophetic community does is is call back to God's way. And, uh, you know, I think embracing that role is rather than being a community of, of judgment or just criticizing people, but being a prophetic community in the sense of living out and pointing out to the world like, hey, here's a here's a different way to live. And uh, Brueggemann often uses the, the term prophetic imagination, is approaching the challenges of life with the imagination of a, of a prophet. Like, what would God's will look like in this situation? How can we live it out and call people to it by our way of life? And so that's often where we fail if we, uh, as Christians, simply embrace one side of the political aisle or the other. Instead of being a true alternative, instead of being a prophetic voice, we sound just like, you know, we have churches that sound just like the political right. And we have churches or Christians that sound very much or just like the political left. And we've really failed to be prophetic to both sides to say there's there's a different way. There's a different way of viewing things because we brought some of those allegiances with us where we're conformed to the patterns of the world. And we haven't challenged them with the, the very unique kingdom way of viewing the world and having a purpose in the world and living it out as God's people. Mm, good insights. Good insights. Uh, Michael, it, it seems that there, there are pivotal times in history where major significant paradigm shifts occur. Uh, that, that is just kind of a shift in the way people think. Uh, and and what, what are the cultural values of a place? From your perspective, are we in one of those times? And uh, if, if so, talk a little bit about what you see happening. And does your book address how we can navigate some of these shifts better? Yeah, that's a great question. And I would say absolutely. If you ever hear, you know, folks our age, like I said, I'm 50, folks my age and up will often say, you know, it's a different world than when I was a kid. Uh-huh. That They're right, actually. It, it is. And that's not just a normal thing. That's not just something that happens to every generation. We're in the midst of a a worldwide generational change, um, cultural change that typically happens every maybe 500 to 1500 or even more years. And because of the 
internet and technology, it's happening much, much faster as a shift as well. So you have a cataclysmic culture shift going on that's happening much faster than it normally does. So you, you rarely see it happen so fast that it's like in the midst of someone's lifetime so obvious. And, and it really is. And well, I, I avoided the temptation in Escaping the Beast of going too far down this road of examining culture shifts and all that, because it would just start to take uh, away from the focus of the book and kind of, you know, you try to avoid too many rabbit trails when you're writing a book. But I, I think overall, it does address that because it, the one thing that does not change, that is not going to shift, is the values of the kingdom of God. They're, they're timeless. They're unchanging. God is immutable. And so being able to apply those in any time in any way. Now, because culture does shift, it'll look different how we apply those principles. But I think they're still the same core principles. And so that's that's really you know a, a challenge in essence because when I was a, a kid even in the 1970s although this was kind of coming to an end then the the our country if I if I limit it to the United States for an example right here was culturally Christian and even when you you know reached out shared your faith with somebody the response you would typically get if you invited somebody to church, and they didn't go to church, would be, you know, I should go to church. I should go. That, that was kind of the assumption. Mm -hmm. That's no longer the assumption. It, it's very post-Christian now. And and in fact, we have a growing um, segment, that probably the fastest growing segment in our culture is what's called the nuns, people who have no religious affiliation. Most of them grew up Christian. They culturally were Christian. They've walked away from it. They're not interested in the church. They, uh, you know, if you really dig in, most of them haven't really experienced the fullness of the kingdom, but they culturally experienced church in some form or another. And now they move past that. And it doesn't mean they're not spiritual, but they have no interest in Christianity. So that that changes very much how we approach things. For example, uh, 50 years ago, 30 years ago, you could go and just invite a bunch of people to church and they'd be like, yeah, you know, I should. And you could get a lot of people. That's reducing all the time now because... You know, in a lot of ways, it's like going to a vegetarian convention and inviting them to the state cookout. They're just not interested in Christianity anymore. <laughs> and, the, and the culture has shifted to the to the degree where, uh, you know, even again, up till 30, 40, 50 years ago, Christians were viewed as the ones with morals. But now an increasing number of people view Christians as immoral, as unloving, as judgmental. And, and so there's not this sense of like, oh, yeah, you know, I should go to church. I should be a Christian. I, I respect the church, that sort of mindset. Um, it's changed. It really is post-Christian, which the interesting thing there is that makes us much more like the first and second and third century Christians than we've probably ever been in in you know, the history, uh, certainly of our country, but maybe even the world since that time. 
so that's that's the challenge moving forward is to recognize that we are in a different world. We are going to have to operate differently. Uh, it, it usually does not go well if you study history when Christians get power and influence in in a culture, in a country. Jesus, I don't believe he designed the kingdom of God that way. I think he warned us about having power. We keep failing to listen to that warning. And every time Christianity grabs cultural or political power, it goes very badly for us. Mm. You talk about uh, William Wilberforce in the book. Uh, What is it that you respect about Wilberforce? and how he was able to impact culture and politics in England, and maybe give us some of the lessons that we can learn from his example. Yeah, you know, Wilberforce is interesting because he decided to get involved in the political realm. And so I think some people will hear me talk and think like, you know, what I'm saying is don't get involved in politics at all. That's not exactly what I'm saying. I'm saying that politics is a very dangerous game for Christians to play, that we need to be very wary. We need to approach it with a kingdom mindset. And if we do, for very kingdom purposes and using the weapons of the kingdom and not the weapons of the world, as Paul would put it in 2 Corinthians 10. And well, you know, no one is perfect. And I wouldn't argue that Wilberforce was. He, I believe, is somebody who really tried to live that out. He engaged in politics for the sole purpose of laying down his own advantage, laying down his own privilege, and dealing with a specific issue, those who were enslaved in the British Empire. And he wanted to bring an end to that. He he felt like that was unbiblical. He was part of a group that when they engaged in any issue, they didn't just rush in and take a, a political position or one that they traditionally held or whatever. They were very careful and took their time about examining, uh, spending great amount of time and discussion and prayer. What is the kingdom position here? What, what should we be aiming for? Should we get engaged in this issue? If so, how? How do we make sure that we're engaging in politics only as a tool for the benefit and good of others, not to gain power or, or you know, whatever? And that, that's such a seductress really is, is power. We start to get involved for good reasons, and then you get a little bit of power and you get a taste of it. And I I think that's kind of what, I'm not a huge Lord of the Rings fan, but I think that's kind of the point that Tolkien was making in Lord of the Rings is that that seduction of of power and how that can appeal to humans and Christians as well. And so Wilberforce was a guy who really poured out his whole life in the political realm, but solely for the purpose of ending slavery in the British realm. And he did it. He was effective. And so I, I think there's a a picture there that we can take away of somebody who cared about issues of justice because they were biblical issues and cared about, you know, the oppressed and the marginalized and stood up for them in, in a very kingdom sort of way, but was pretty careful to use kingdom methods all along the way. So I think that's really the lesson of Wilberforce for me. 
keeping our allegiance to the kingdom, but realizing we have uh, we we have the privilege at times of having a voice into our own culture. Boy, to use that and navigate that well for the good of others. Um, what a what a great uh, line of thinking and and a reasonable place it seems to me between two um, kind of book in positions one that avoids any engagement in politics that says we're just kingdom people and our influence is only through the gospel and the other that that leans too much into a heavy allegiance to a political party or nation a lot of good stuff to get us thinking about Michael our times run out. And I uh, want to bring you back next next podcast because we've got a lot more to talk about. Hopefully, we have uh, wet people's appetite for the book and to engage your, your thoughts. The book, again, is Escaping the Beast. Our guest and the author is Michael Burns. And uh, Michael's website where you can pick up the book is michaelburnsteachingministry.com. Or you can get it on Amazon or, or other booksellers online. I encourage you to pick up a copy and uh, engage with Michael's thoughts. Uh, we're going to bring Michael back for our next podcast. Uh, we're going to talk about the nine principles of engagement uh, that you find in chapters 19 and 20 of the book. So I hope our listeners will come back for this next uh, fascinating part of our discussion Michael, it has been great to have you with us. Boy, you've just been a great guest, and uh, I appreciate the things you've had to had to say. Um, so, look forward to having you back. Thanks so much, and uh, it's a deal. I'll be back. All right, we'll join up with you then next podcast. In the meantime, folks, uh, our our motto here is unity starts with a cup of coffee. Being look, be looking for folks in your community who are believers in Christ that you can sit down over a cup of coffee with and have a good conversation and find that common ground. See you next time. Thank you for listening to the Common Grounds Unity podcast. Please check out commongroundsunity.org to learn more about who we are. There are plenty of resources and you can subscribe to the weekly email articles, join the Facebook group, or find our YouTube channel. We've also provided a link in the show notes for comments. You can ask questions or suggest topics and guests. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can do that too through the show notes or on our website. Until next time, God bless. And remember, unity starts with a cup of coffee.